Well, I wanted to look with you this morning at the epistle of First Peter, and there's some wonderful truths. You know, I was just reading through this, uh, the epistle, and just seeing the state of, of the church and what was going on. And, you know, Peter was writing to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And I was just kind of struck by how relevant his letters are to us today, of some of the topics he was, you know, covering and the situations he was addressing. And, of course, by this time, the church had grown, and they were all over in many places in, in Asia and uh, Asia Minor and Greece and Syria and Israel and so forth. And, um, you know, so God was moving, but with that kind of growth came other things. Other things kept crept in, and they, had, they were combating false teachers and, you know, doct- doctrines that weren't flowing with Scripture and truth and so forth. And, you know, when that, whenever there's growth by God, the en- enemy always wants to slip the tears in with the wheat and so forth, and they're dealing with those. And it kind of feels like that's where we are in the church as a whole, right? The church has grown. There's millions and millions of Christians around the world, but there's a lot of, a lot of tears in the wheat, and we're combating that. Um, of course, Peter was also having to deal with persecution, and the church was having to deal with persecution, right? The Romans and even just different, you know, the governments and the locations where the Christians were were not friendly towards Christians, and they were dealing with that. And, of course, that's on the rise around the world. We see that in the news more often, right? That Christians, you know, as Jesus said, the world will hate you because you love me and you're of me. And so, you know, the, the church was dealing that. And when Peter was trying to give them the right perspective, right, to show them how to look and how to address those things, how to view those things in their lives, and right, he was showing them that there was great value in enduring, enduring that kind of suffering because God was using it to do a beautiful work in their lives. And so I want to just look at a passage in First Peter with you. And let's read together in First Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us unto a lively or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. That phrase really resonates with me. Um, A living hope. It's a hope that's alive. It's not some far off, distant, dead thing Right, that'll be alive someday, but no, it's a living hope. It's when we set our hope in God and we're walking in his way of life, it's alive in us. When our hope is in other things, right, not in God, well, we know what the opposite of life is. It's death. And so, you know, Proverbs thirteen and verse twelve, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? And that's hope that's set in things other than the Lord. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. When we set our hope in God, that desire is fulfilled because we're never disappointed in God. We're disappointed when we put hope in our, in our own expectations and desires, but when it's in God, it's a tree of life. 
Now, another way we can look at this as well, right? It's a living hope, but it's also a hope that we are to live in. It's a hope we are to dwell in. We're to make it our dwelling place. Right? That even though we're in a will, we're living in a world of sin, of injustices and sickness and tragedies and sorrow and so forth. I mean, you can look at all the stuff and watch the news and say, "Man, this world is going downhill." Right? We live in that, though. You can't escape it. But yet, God is offering us a living hope, a hope that we can live in on our journey in this life. And it's a hope that allows us to look beyond all of those terrible things, all of the difficulties and so forth, to something glorious. And we continue on in Peter. 1 Peter 1a, it says, Whom having not seen, you love. And whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's our hope, is Jesus. We haven't seen him. Right? Maybe some of us have been privileged to have visions or something. I've never had a vision of the Lord and being able to see him. But I still have that hope. Uh, Jesus also said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So I'm holding on to that one too. But yet we can enter in to a living hope and make that our dwelling place. And that causes us to keep our eyes upon the Lord. And not only that, we can rejoice, as Peter says, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That can be our existence because we have a living hope. And we're to live in it. Even if it starts out kind of small, it can still be our, our dwelling place. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen the, the trend lately of, you know, like you watch HGTV or something like that, and you see these tiny houses, right, that people build these like little tiny houses on wheels, and they can move them around and so forth. But they are just like they squeeze into them. They say, that oh, I want to downsize. And so it's a movement. You have to look it up. But... You know, some people make these really nice places, and that's their dwelling place, but it's pretty small. But they can go places, you know, and do, do fun stuff. But you know, that's kind of a picture of what, where we can start off. Maybe our, our dwelling place, our hope in God, is a pretty small, little, compact little thing. But, you know, if we live in it, it's continually enlarging. It's continually growing until we, we can be like the good old American, make everything bigger, and we can have a jumbo <laughs> RV, you know, that you see driving down the road. There, you know, I've, you can see a jumbo RV bus pulling a big RV trailer with a car on it, you know, or something like that. But in a, in a sense, God desires that our hope in him that we live in is growing and increasing so that by the time we're departing this life, our hope is increased to a nice palace. It's what he desires to, to do in us. Ephesians 1 and verse 17, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him for the purpose that our eyes would be opened, our eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we can know the hope of our calling in Christ Jesus. You know, it's, it's as if there's an ever-expanding knowledge of the hope 
that we can have from God that he wants to increase and grow in us by his spirit. As his spirit comes into our lives, as we're walking and we're led by the spirit of God, it's that we can know and ever increase in the hope of our calling, that it can be clearer, that it can become brighter, more defined, that it becomes the reality. You know, the the closer we get to eternity, the more real it should be in our hearts. Right? It's the wicked, the closer they get to it, the more they back away and don't want to think about it and well, they can't avoid it. But you know that the joy that we can have is the you know, we're we're nearer than we first believed, as the scripture says. And it's a joy and it's a hope to us. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives that's eternal. And he wants us to, to reveal it to us and he wants to, and us to enter into it. Now, there's a very practical way that our hope is expanded. And it's actually a verse I skipped over in Peter. I left it for the last for a reason. First Peter 1, verse 7. Now, don't jump up and down for joy when you read it. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now is where we get to the crux of the matter. God gives us a hope for a purpose because it causes us to be able to endure so that we can endure to the end. You know, the hardest thing in life is not to go through difficulty, but it's to go through difficulty and have no hope, right? Some people can go through difficulty and it's like, well, I'm holding on and I'm making it and I'm overcoming and I've got my eyes set there and it's like, wow, they're, they're doing good. Other people, they go through difficulty, maybe even less difficulty, but they have no hope. They're just like a ship in a storm with no sails and no rudder and they're just washed around and they don't have hope. But Peter's giving us a picture to us of what God wants to do, what he desires to do. We're going through difficulty, but we're holding on to that living hope. In fact, we're dwelling in it. Right? We don't set foot outside of the doorstep of that living hope for anything because it's our safe place in the storm. And he, he gives us a, a picture of what it is to be like. It says it's like gold that is purified. Gold that's purified. And it's more precious than gold because it's eternal. And so God, through this living hope, wants to do a work that makes us so beautiful like gold that's eternal. And you know, gold is a very interesting substance. And it's not just because it's rare and it's shiny and, and pretty, but you know, if you research it, it's really neat because of some of the qualities of it. But one of the things that sets it apart from many of the other metals like silver is that it does not tarnish. I was watching a documentary about this certain um, excavation and they they found a golden mask that had been buried for, I think it was like 3,000 years, right? And you think, wow, that's buried 3,000 years. It's going to look old and terrible. Well, all they did was dust it off, polish it up, and that golden mask looked like it had put in, put in there yesterday, literally. It, it was amazing to think 
has been there 3,000 years or whatever the date was. But, you know, that's a picture of the work that God wants to do in us, that the trial of our faith and that living hope, that as we're faithful to walk in it, it's putting within us a much more enduring substance. It's going to endure eternally. It'll remain beautiful forever. Now, you can compare this with another precious metal, silver, right? Probably many of us have had silver jewelry or different things. Well, the ladies probably. Mine's, mine's white gold, but anyway. But the, the real problem and annoying thing with silver is it does not take long for that thing to tarnish, right? Unless you're really on top of cleaning it. You know, and the difference between the two is they're both rare metals, They can both look very beautiful, but one tarnishes and one doesn't, right? You have to really be careful about keeping that clean. And I was actually looking that up. I was like, well, why why does that tarnish? What is it? And it's actually the silver reacting to tiny amounts of sulfur in the air. Um, Technically, it's hydrogen sulfide. It's that rotten egg smell. But apparently, there's small particles that are released into, of salt, hydrogen sulfide into the air by many different products and things in nature and so forth. And so it causes silver to, to the metal and silver to turn brown and then black. And it doesn't look very pretty at that point. And so you have this precious substance that if, if that's put buried or something, it's not going to look very good when they pull it out. And so there's that differentiation that, that's made. And so God is relating the work that he desires to do within us with gold because it's beautiful, but because it remains untarnished. It endures forever. You know, sometimes you can have something that looks really nice and shiny and flashy, but it doesn't endure. For what good is it? It's of no value, eternally anyway. But God wants to give us something that lasts eternally that has value in his kingdom. You know, in one sense, you can kind of relate silver with our spiritual journey. It is a beautiful thing, right? But maybe you can relate it to the holy place, right? There's a lot of beautiful works that God wants to do within us. But to go into within the veil, we have to pass through that veil of cleansing and purification. It's a very deep level of purification. And it's interesting Gold that's been purified, one of the last elements to be removed is silver before it's made really pure. It takes some intense heat to get there. It's around 2,000 degrees. That's hard to even imagine, right? I mean, a few hundred degrees is hot for us, but 2,000, is that's the melting point. And then it takes a lot of different um, processes to get it purified. In fact, they they didn't really understand that until... Over a little over a hundred years ago, they found out that different chemicals added to it, and then electricity, electrolysis, got could, they could get gold to ninety nine point nine 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 percent purified. That's a good picture of man, right? We can never be fully perfect; we'll never be like God. But God wants to get a deep and lasting work within us as much as possible in this life. That's His goal. That's His desire. And so how are we purified? By the furnace, by the heat, 
Psalms 12 and verse 6. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So that purification of precious metals happens in the furnace. And not just one time. Right? It's like you get that picture of it's, it's put in the furnace, it's melted, they're skimming off the dross, and then it's cooled down, then they do it again. They find more impurities. It comes to the surface, they skim it off, and again and again it has to be worked in. And You know, because of, there's that mixture that it comes with of other substances, well, and that's us. We got lots of substances in our nature that God says, I want to cleanse those, I want to remove them, if you'll let me, so that we can be like gold. Gold is what he adds to our nature, right, to make us like him. Our nature is what has to be removed so that we can endure and not tarnish. And sometimes we have to go through it once, twice, three times. Lord, what's going on? Is this, is this a pattern? Yeah. Because he's trying to remove those things within us. But each time we go, those impurities, yeah, it's amazing how, Lord, I thought, I thought I got the victory in this area. <laughs> and here it is floating to the top again. So he's like, don't worry, I'm just scooping it off. You know, we can think about this in the, an example in the life of the writer, right? Even Peter, he had some impurities that had to be scooped off. You know, even though, you know, we can think of the, the prime example of of him walking with the Lord for three and a half years. I mean, he heard the living Christ and he received that life and that word from him for all that time. And then, you know, it's like he got that gold and parted into him. But then Peter was still there, right? I mean, we know at the end, Peter said, I'm going to die for you, right? He had faith. I mean, that's not a bad thing. Say, Lord, I want to die for you. I want to follow you. And that he wanted to do it for the rest of his life to follow God. But it wasn't purified faith. Right? He had that wrong mentality in him that needed to be refined, especially with how it affected others. And I think that was really what needed to be refined in Peter. It wasn't the fact that he wanted to lay down his life for the Lord, but he said, Lord, even though everyone else leaves you, hint, hint, you other disciples, right? <laughs> I'll follow you. Well, God, God couldn't let that remain. It had to be purified in a pretty intense fire. That seemed like more than 2,000 degrees. I don't know. And so he had to deal with that in Peter. It had to br- be brought to the surface, addressed, and removed. But that's why God needs to do a work in us as well. Who knows what's in there that can affect the beauty that Christ wants to establish in us. What can tarnish his work? But you know, there was an element in Peter that was precious. Something the Lord saw in him that he could develop and he could use as Peter allowed that work to be purified. Right? He became the leader of the church. He became the rock for the church that it could be built upon as the Lord used him. You know, let's just consider one more person. You know, we think of, of Joseph. 
he was one who was really tried. I mean, uh, God took a lot of time working on him, purifying him. In Psalm 105 and verse 17, it says, He sent a man before them, before Israel, named Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron till the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. You know, when Joseph was young, he was a man of promise, a young man of promise, but the word was in a raw form. It was before that, that precious nature of the word can be revealed, he had to be sold into captivity, and that captivity would do something. It would purify the word of God in him. Now, something Pastor Bailey said in one of his books of Joseph, he said, he said, during this time, the word of the Lord was trying him as to whether he could trust God for the fulfillment of of the promises the Lord had made to him. And so those Joseph continued those many years allowing God to complete that work in him. It took a, took a lot of working. You know, we've often talked about, you know, uh, that verse in Psalm 105 about how he, he was laid in iron and how another reading of that is that iron was laid in him. You know, that literal sense. You know, in one sense, gold is pretty soft. In fact, the, the, the purer it gets, the softer it gets. In fact, it can get so pure that you can actually put a dent in it with your finger when it's in its purest form. It's that soft. And so modern gold that they use for things is usually mixed with a little bit. But, but it, it's not that we get soft. It's that actually that work makes us strong. Iron is put within us, as it was in Joseph. When we allow the Word of God to try our hearts, it's like a new property is added to the Word of God in us. And it, the promise becomes a strength so that we can fulfill our calling. It takes many furnaces, though. I appreciate Proverbs 24 and verse 16. We see another seven here. A just man falls seven times, but rises up again. So this isn't always because of mistakes. It's because of the, the furnaces we're going through. Some God, sometimes God will set us up in a situation to show us we need to change. We're not strong enough. But it is to raise us up to greater heights. I heard a, an old preacher, a quote from an old-time preacher. He said, God can never make someone great in his kingdom unless he first hurts them or breaks them, right? tries them. And so if we want to follow God, we can expect that. However, we can be encouraged that as Christians, we go through situations where we feel like we're being punished and hardship and trial and so forth. But the reality is that we have that privilege of the word of God trying us. And those experiences are preparing us for the throne, preparing us to be that beautiful gold, to be brought forth as that beautiful gold. And God is not going to put people on his throne unless they first are tried and they've had that beautiful work done within them. Sometimes failures can be our, one of our greatest assets because we've been tested. Failures cause us to have compassion on other people. Sometimes the people who don't have compassion are the people who are really strong in themselves and they've been able to do it themselves and they don't see why someone is struggling in, in other areas. 
And that's why it's the meek who accept the trials and the difficulties and the tribulations and the refinings as from God, the meek will inherit the whole earth because something has been produced that is more precious than gold. It's eternal. And so the Lord wants to give us a living hope, a hope we can live in and make that our dwelling place, which is ever increasing so that by the end of our life, we won't have a tiny house of hope, hopefully. It'll be a bigger one. But it's as we follow him within the veil. And that divine work of purification takes place, removing the elements within us that would tarnish his image in us. It would tarnish the work of a beauty that he wants to put within us through the furnace. Sometimes it's seven times. Maybe we can get by with less than seven. I don't know. That's in God's hands. There are times when our weakness might be exposed for others to see. Other times it's, it's just a hidden work, but the end result is the word being purified and iron being put within us for strength. And so let's lay hold on the living hope that he has set before us and let that be our dwelling place. And allow that beautiful work to be done within us that will last for all eternity. And Lord, we thank you for your plan and your purpose for us that is good. Lord, and that you've given us this wonderful hope that's alive within our hearts and that we can dwell within that. Lord, we ask and cry out to you, Lord, that you would cause that to be our portion. Lord, that our eyes would be set upon you, that we would have hope in you. Lord, that we wouldn't be like that ship without an anchor. Lord, and without a rudder, without sails, just drifting. But Lord, our hope would be set firmly in you, O God. Oh Lord, just do that work within us, Lord. We, Lord, we surrender to your work, knowing that you will bring that. Lord, help us to say yes and to uh, allow you to work within us. Lord, remove those impurities. Remove the things that would tarnish your image being revealed in our lives. Oh, we just invite you to come and we cry out for grace to do that grace to follow you. And Lord, as we fall down, help us to get back up and to just go on in you and to set our hope in you. Oh, do that beautiful work that it can be seen in us in that day when we behold you in heaven, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.